college football today. Back on college football today, top 25 battles, front and center stage. There is no margin for error today. Rivalry games, national championship implications. This is what it's all about. We were talking about the Big Ten battle, Indiana and Purdue. Indiana's won four straight over the Boilermakers by 11.7 points per game. But, Rich, this is a Purdue defense that's come on in recent weeks over the last four games, holding opposing offenses to 74 rushing yards on the ground. I think they're able to force pressure on Indiana's offensive line. That's giving up 26 total sacks as an offensive unit. I think Purdue becomes bowl eligible and gets a gutty 13-point win in West Lafayette. Somebody is going to get a very pivotal victory today in West Lafayette. It's, you know, the old oaken bucket is up for grabs. It's a big, long-standing rivalry. They've battled it out for a century or more. And now there's a bowl game at stake. And as I mentioned before the break, this is not your garden variety bowl game for these teams because both programs are led by first-year coaches that have more work to do. They want to have their teams in the month of December. It'll help their fan bases. It'll help with ticket sales to grab that bowl game. And both teams have been... You know, they've been up and down, but playing well. I mentioned Indiana's defense outstanding last week. It was 34 to nothing against a Rutgers team that that has shown a spark from time to time. But I agree with you. You were on Purdue last week, which was a fantastic pick against Iowa. You were right. That defense playing very well. Nick Holt, the defensive coordinator, doing an outstanding job with marginal talent. I agree. I think Purdue wins this game. Well, here's the matchup that I look at when you look at Indiana's offense. Over the last six games, they're only averaging 115.5 rushing yards per game. And they got the victory last week against Rutgers. But they've got back-to-back victories over Illinois and Rutgers. When you look at Purdue, they've played the tougher competition. They knocked off Iowa last week, held that Iowa offense to 82 rushing yards two weeks ago. They lost a very close ball game to a hot Northwestern team and held that offense to 94 yards on the ground to me that's the difference and I think the better head coach here at this point in the season is Jeff Brom Brom over Tom Allen and he understands big games he brought back-to-back conference USA titles to Western Kentucky and he understands rivalries and oh by the way we talked about PJ Fleck in Minnesota Jeff Brom one season at Purdue his name is being bandied about as a possible candidate for SEC openings whether it's in Arkansas Ole Miss uh, Tennessee, Jeff Brom, I don't know if he would do it, but he might have some opportunities for another promotion for a second straight year. Yeah, that's a great point. And the, and the quarterback, Elijah Sindelar, playing very well over the last couple of weeks. He completed 60 of 98, 98 passes. That's 61%, 627 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. The strength of Indiana is their secondary, but I think they have more offensive balance to really challenge Indiana, stretch them vertically, and I look for turnovers to play a critical um, uh, ball, critical factor yeah. in today. Purdue is plus three in turnover margin. Indiana enters this game at minus eight. I think that's another factor to watch out uh, for in West Lafayette. It is a 12 o'clock kick. It is on ESPN. When we come back, we'll be breaking down Clemson in South Carolina, Notre Dame and Stanford. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. 
Hey, this is Greg Sussman from the Roto Experts in the Morning. And, and listen, we can all use a little help sometimes. That's why I talk to three guys every single day that help me with my fantasy teams. But if you need help with your fantasy teams, and you probably do, you should purchase the Roto Experts Exclusive Edge Fantasy Football in-season package. Featuring weekly lineup ranks, chats with our experts every single day, and player cards for every player in the NFL, including reports from InsideInjuries.com. You cannot beat it. Don't set your lineups without checking the Roto Experts Exclusive Edge in-season package. Great day of college football, just in about an hour and a half. Talking some Notre Dame, talking Stanford. Stanford has lost three of the last five. Actually, they've won three of the last five by 5.3 points per game. Got this victory last year in South Bend by a score of 17 to 10. Bryce Love did have a big game filling in for Christian McCaffrey last year. I expect it to continue if he plays, like you mentioned, but I'm still not sold on Brandon Wimbush on the road. He's going to have to attack that Stanford secondary vertically. I mean, Stanford giving up 172 rushing yards on the ground. Look for Notre Dame to run the football early, but at some point he's going to have to make plays in the passing attack. I think you're just upset at Notre Dame after not covering for it. Very much so. <laughs> you're sort of jilted by that Navy jaded. result. Yeah, I, I think last week Notre Dame was sort of looking ahead. You know, they had the tough Miami loss on one end. They had the uh, trip to the farm this weekend. I think Navy they just sort of took lightly. But I, I like Notre Dame uh, tonight just because I think it matters more. I, I think this game matters uh, to Notre Dame because – if they win, they're getting a major bowl invitation. If they don't, they're going to be vulnerable and probably be on the outside looking in. Whereas Stanford, I, you know, I, I don't know where their heads are going to be. Because, again, I'll reiterate, this game kicks off 8 o'clock on the East Coast. So does the Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State. And Stanford needs the Cougars to lose this game for them to win the Pac-12 North. I think it's impossible for these kids not to be paying attention to some extent to what's happening at Husky Stadium, whereas Notre Dame will have a razor focus. And again, Bryce Love, he's not 100%. Even at less than 100%, he's great. He's still one of the best backs in the country. But I don't know what how David Shaw uses him, knowing that there's a possibility they're going to need their star running back a week later in Santa Clara against USC in the Pac-12 title game. That's a good point, but I still think he plays in this ballgame. It's Notre Dame. I mean, I can't see him missing this ballgame. If he's 80%, expect him to suit up. I mean, unless it's really to the fact where he can't cut on that on that ankle because it is an ankle injury for the most right, part. Right, right. So, I mean, that's the factor. Again, I look at Stanford as being the more blue-collar team, even though they're still not up to Stanford standards, what we've seen in years past, because they can be attacked vertically, especially in the passing attack, and I think that's where Notre Dame really could have an advantage if Brandon Winbush steps up, but we haven't seen that type of consistency out of him as a pocket passer. He's going to have to make plays with his legs. Stanford's given up 172 yards on the ground, but Washington State as well. Attack that defense vertically, and that's the difference. I do think Brandon Wimbush has has made strides as a passer. He's doing a better job of getting Chase Claypool, Equinemius St. Brown, Alizé Manac involved with the offense to complement Josh Adams 
out of the backfield. How about the matchup between if Love is able to play and is 100%, you have the two best big play backs in the country. I mean, nobody is ripping off more 50-yard jaunts than, than Bryce Love and Josh Adams. That will be a great matchup. I want to see more from the Notre Dame defense. I, I, I don't have a lot of respect, uh, Joe, for the Stanford passing game. K.J. Costello would be the quarterback. It's a marginal passing unit. I think you can stack the box. I think you could have Tavon Coney. I think you could have Drew Tranquil focusing on Bryce Love. Doesn't mean they can stop him, but they should be able to control the running game knowing that there's not much of a threat from that Stanford passing attack. I actually think Notre Dame is slightly more balanced. I have more faith in Wimbush as a playmaker than I do K.J. Costello on the other side from Stanford. I think this is a high-scoring game, though. I think 34-24 Stanford wins. I mean, by by, stand, by standards of Stanford and Notre Dame. Sure. Now. I mean, both coming off low-scoring games last year, 17-10. to 10. I think this is a little more high-scoring, but Stanford does pick up a 10-point victory. Yeah, I agree with the high-scoring, but I like Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame has had a lot to prove. This would be a big victory for Brian Kelly to get to a major bowl game. In a season where that he began on the hot seat would be a major achievement. I do think they're trending in the right direction, the Miami game notwithstanding. But, but this is a different type of a team. You know, Notre Dame struggles with those fast sideline-to-sideline defenses, teams that can out-athletic them. That's not going to be the case for Stanford. And you touched on it, and I'd like to mention it. The Stanford defense that we've grown accustomed to, maybe with the exception of Harrison Phillips, who's having a great year uh, at defensive tackle, this has not been the traditional Stanford defense. They're more beatable, and I think they'll struggle against that ND running yeah, game. Yeah, we'll see. It's an 8 o'clock kick. It is on ABC. Another 8 o'clock kick is uh, ACC-SEC clash. It's Clemson and South Carolina. Clemson's won three straight over the Gamecocks by 22.7 points per game. I think Clemson steps up. Challenges yeah. that South Carolina defense that's given up 222 passing yards per game. I think they put a whooping on South Carolina tonight. I think anywhere 24, 27 points later tonight. Wow. I, I, that would surprise me. I mean, listen, you've been hot lately, so I'm not going to, to battle against you've you. You've been hot. Well, I, I mean, you, you've really had a good pulse on certain teams. Uh, we'll see if that's the case with Clemson. I, I don't think it'll be that comfortable. I'm not sure if Clemson has the offensive firepower against a Will Muschamp defense that has been playing well. DJ Wanham up front, Sky Moore at linebacker, the secondary giving up a lot of yards, but also creating some big plays as well. I think this is a competitive football game. I'll go back to rivalry week. This game really matters to South Carolina and Muschamp. The fact that it's at Williams-Brice Stadium, that place will be energetic. It'll be rocking all night long. And I'm just not impressed, Joe, with that Clemson offense. This is not the Taj Boyd, not the Deshaun Watson type of an offense. They're, they're kind of dinking and dunking. They're struggling to get big plays. They have nice talent in a Deion Kane, you know, Travis Etienne out of the backfield, Tavian Feaster out of the backfield, but they just haven't been consistently potent on offense. I think South Carolina can control that offense uh, of Clemson. Now, Clemson's defense, that's my big concern. Clemson defensive line against anybody could be a mismatch. Against South Carolina, it could be 
a particular mismatch. A lot is going to hinge on Jake Bentley not making turnovers from behind center. But I think South Carolina competes in this game. I think this is a 60-minute game. So I'll take those two touchdowns. That's one of my best bets of the day. It's a bitter rivalry, too. And here's the matchup that I look at from an offensive perspective. You bring up great points about South Carolina. Here's what I look at now. They lost that ball game on the road in College Station 24-17. Since that time, they've been on a run. But they haven't faced an offense like Clemson as balanced that will stretch that defense vertically, even though they're throwing short to intermediate passes with Kelly Bryant. He's completing 61% of his passes, 2,154 yards, 10 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. But he is a, p- a player that has weapons. You mentioned Deion Kane, Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod. These are the type of players that can stretch that secondary. You look at some of the teams that uh, South Carolina's played. Florida, Georgia, Vanderbilt. Tennessee. I mean, these are these aren't dominant passing attacks that he's that defense has gone up against, and that's why I like Clemson in this ball game. I mean, Georgia's pretty good though, but they're one dimensional. Jake yeah, Fromm. They're not. Yeah. They're, they're not a five. But I'm not sure. I'm offense. not sure if Clemson is anything more than. I don't even know if they're one dimension this year. I mean, they, you know, take take out the games against weaker opponents. You know, the Wofford, you know, that that's going to skew the numbers a little bit last week playing an FCS opponent. But I have been really underwhelmed by the offense this season. I mean, they just have not had enough explosive plays. One of the worst teams in the ACC in terms of explosive plays this year. And I think that continues today. South Carolina has not allowed more than 28 points in a game this season. And, and okay, maybe they haven't faced the athletes that they'll see against right. Clemson. I don't think the Tigers get above 28. I mean, I, I think this wow. is going to be something like a, a 26 to 17 victory for Clemson. I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Clemson. If they want to contend for a playoff spot, they've got to win here and then obviously beat Miami in the ACC title game in Charlotte. But I, I, I think this is a this is a prime spot for a two touchdown underdog at home with absolutely nothing to lose, South Carolina 5-1 and one in Columbia this year to compete with the more talented Clemson team. Yeah, you bring up great points. I mean, here's the thing from an offensive perspective. Arkansas, pro-style offense with Austin Allen. I mean, they want to run it. Same thing with Georgia and Jake Fromm. Uh, Tennessee did, did have Garantino that did start that game. So, And Vanderbilt with Kyle Shermer. So all offenses that were predicated from an offense that want to run between the tackles and work off a of play action. Here with Clemson from a personnel perspective they're going to spread your five wide and they have a quarterback in Kelly Bryant that's going to put pressure on the perimeter of that defense and I think that's the matchup why I like the Clemson Tigers here because of that added dimension not just from Bryant through the air but on the perimeter in terms of where he's most dangerous yeah I I, that, that is the best weapon on the Clemson offense right now is Kelly Bryant running the ball there's no question about it that that is the best weapon within that offense I, I say 26-17, Clemson. Give me I a could score. See that. I, I think it's high scoring. I think Clemson puts up 42, and they hold uh, South Carolina in the area 17. Okay. I, I, think they, right. I think they win it convincingly by 25 points. I, I really feel after my, Miami lost that ball game uh, yesterday in Heinz Field, do not expect Clemson to come into this ball game, especially a rivalry game to not be focused and looking it, ahead. And one thing yeah. Dabo Sweeney does better than any other coach, he has his teams prepared each and every week, especially for these big ball games. When we come back, we'll be joined by ex- the executive director of the Maxwell Football Club, uh, Mark Wolpert. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34.
fantasy nerds, it's Ashley from Ashley Needs Answers, and I'm here to share some fun facts with you about my friend Jake Seeley, who, by the way, has never met me. Actually, here's one fun fact. They're making me read this great stuff about Jake, and he won't even pick up the phone and say hello to me. I'm just supposed to sit here and make him look great, and he's not even a great human being. Here's one. Jake's the top three fantasy ranker in the last two years. Great. But is he a good human? I don't know. I can't vouch for that. I heard he doesn't even like puppies. So decide for yourself. On Target with Jake Seeley, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Talking a little top 25 action, final week of the season. Talking a little Heisman next week, but this is the best time of the year. We talk about the college awards. We're joined in studio by the executive director of the Maxwell Football Club and the Maxwell Football Awards, Mark Wolpert. Mark, how are you today? Doing great. Great to be here with you guys. Thanks. Well, this is what it's all about in terms of football awards. We know that the Maxwell Football Club did announce its semifinalists. You want to tell them who they are? Well, actually, we're at finalists right now, and we have six candidates, three for each of the two awards. So for the Maxwell, we have Saquon Barkley from Penn State, and we have Bryce Love from Stanford, and the third finalist is Baker Mayfield from Oklahoma. Then on the Benarica side, uh, Benarica side, which is our Defensive Player of the Year award, we have Bradley Chubb from North Carolina State. We have Micah Fitzpatrick from Alabama. And we have Roquan Smith from Georgia. All pretty tough football players. Yeah, all defensive minded. And tough decisions, I would think, <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, as voters uh, put their ballots in, it's going to be close, as it is every year. No doubt. I think especially on the Benaric side, it's always a dogfight. So the, you got three really good football players there. Very different skill sets, but... It's going to be a close vote. Let's keep it on Bednarik, Mark. Uh, Minka, phenomenal player, versatile defensive back. I, I, I would even say maybe the most versatile defensive player in the country this season. How would you uh, sort of, how would you kind of grade his health right now? Is this a kid who's playing at 100%, particularly going into the Auburn game? Well, it's hard to, ha- uh, hard to tell. <laughs> I mean, if you listen to Nick Saban's press conference, he doesn't give you a whole lot on that. Yeah. I know Minka practiced all week this week. And, you know, they, they rested him last week against Mercer. So he's going to be as healthy as he needs to be to play the Iron Bowl today. Uh, whether he's 100%, I'm not sure that any player in college football is 100% at this yeah. time of year. But, you know, that young man's special. He, he plays five defensive positions. He can play cover. He can play press man. He can play, you know, rover, outside linebacker. So when I look back at, at defensive players who won our Benaric Award, the one that kind of comes to mind for me is Tyran Matthew. Mm. Um, he, he doesn't get a chance to return punch so much, but he's very versatile, and he does a lot of real good things. Scored some him. touchdowns last year too, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, uh, I think they're just choosing not to use yeah, him there. Yeah. Now, that might change today. You know, anything goes uh, yeah. in the Iron Bowl. All bets are off yeah. when it comes to uh, Auburn today. That's for sure. And he's a Jersey City kid, played at St. Peter's Prep with Richie Hansen. So. Yeah, Jersey, Jersey City. Right? Uh, it's, it's, always, it's nice to see guys from our area do well. Uh, he's going a long distance to go to school at Alabama, but I think – Obviously, for him, that's the right place to be. He's the keystone to their whole defense, and they're they're banged up on defense. Yeah. So, they're, I, I believe if I read correctly, Christian Miller's coming back today. The outside and, linebacker, yeah, yeah, which is a big get for them if he can contribute. Yep. And uh, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting game. I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, yep. but 
Minka certainly key to success for them on defense. I have a question in terms of what it takes to go into the process of these awards because I, I, I wanted to bring it up to you too because Rashad Penny not being part of the Doak Walker best running back in the nation award. Great I mean, year for running back. Right. So, I mean, that, that's a tough but decision. The nation's yeah. leading rusher. Yeah. So, I, I wanted to yeah. ask you, you know, the process of, yeah. about what it goes into, you know. Well, I can only speak to what our processes are. And right. I know that each individual award has some very defined processes that they conduct throughout the season. You know, at the end of the day, it's a numbers game. And you're talking about a great player in Rashad Penny. He's going to play in the NFL. He's going to be a really good football player at the pro level. It's just when you look, as Rich said, when you look at the running backs, you have Saquon Barkley, who arguably is the best offensive football player in college football. I mean, in my opinion, what I've seen of him, uh, when I say that, I'm meaning as he translates to the NFL. Um, the, you have great young, uh, John, uh, Josh Adams, who's a younger guy, who's really dynamic. And John Taylor, who's a Maxwell Award High School and Jim Henry Award winner yeah. last year, who I looked at film of the kid in high school, and I knew he was special. I have to be honest. I didn't expect this as a yeah. freshman. Well, I mean, Adams also is a Pennsylvania yeah. kid too, right? Was he ever a part of the uh... – <laughs> It's funny. Uh, for the first time ever, all three Maxwell uh, – well, you know, we have Saquon, who's a finalist, who is a mini Max Award winner. We have Josh, who's – and the other two aren't finalists for us, but – they are both mini Max yeah. Award winners. So yeah. we have a really strong Good contingent of running backs yeah. yeah, out of the New Jersey, Pennsylvania area. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Barkley. Now, uh, for the audience doesn't realize, you were actually out at the Penn State-Nebraska game scouting, yeah. among others, Saquon Barkley. Talk about the diversity of his skill set, because what I love is you rarely see a package that big, that fast, and that versatile in terms of what he could bring to an offense. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. He's a great hard runner. He finishes runs. He sees the field. You know, he gets up and runs the inside zone really well. If you give him space in the perimeter, he'll hurt you. Uh, and he can—he has the speed to go coast to coast. I mean, you get it. Once he gets past the second level, it's going to be a track meet because he's going to run, and most most times you're not going to catch him. Yeah. And at his size, it's incredible. I mean, he's large. He's strong. He's put together. The thing that impresses me the most about Saquon is his ability to catch the football. Um, Penn State has a certain package that they run offensively. It's pretty defined. And I think that package somewhat limits what Saquon can do as far as individual. And he's not about the individual. So he's playing in his team scheme, and that's all good. What, what my point is, when he gets into the next level and they scheme things up a little bit differently, um, Penn State's running a lot of RPOs now. Almost, I don't want to say exclusively, but there's a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. And you know, that's fine, but at the NFL level, that's not going to be the case as much. There will be some RPO, but Saquon's going to get featured a little bit more, I think. Um, and the, the great thing about him is if you get him in space, he's going to hurt you. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Brian Westbrook catching the football, mm. and that's the best comparison that comes to mind for me. He's much bigger, much stronger. But he gets the his great hands. He makes the first guy miss. He can run the next guy over. So this this young man's got a bright future ahead in the in the National Football League. And his cutback ability. I mean, that's the one thing as well. He can cut on a dime. I mean, yeah. you, you see it especially in the Iowa game. That's the one thing. I mean, special teams too, Joe. Yeah, I special mean, teams. In the open plays field, a weight he's guy just, too. I yeah. mean, he be, he yeah. squats like five hundred pounds. He's I mean, the strongest guy yeah. on Penn State's yeah. team. Yeah. And I think when you look at it, and and truth be told. 
his 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 total offense package is what everybody's looking at right now in terms of is he an award finalist or winner. You know, I don't know where that'll end up a week from now for the Doak or for the Maxwell Award, but I do know that you know without that component of what he did offensively, I don't think he's in the discussion right now. There was a few games that he would have mediocre performances, not necessarily due to his own effort, but Penn State was very banged up on the offensive line. They were a little bit light there to begin with, and he doesn't have much to run behind right now. So he's a guy that needs to get it going. He needs to get in a rhythm, and I just don't think there was the ability to do that. Now, when I saw him against Nebraska, he certainly had a huge day. I think he went for like 150-something. In a limited game. I think it was a little more than a half. Yeah, he only played pretty much the first half on a a horribly wet night. So he's definitely a, a guy to keep your eye on. What about Mayfield? I mean, he's a guy that I, I look at like a Drew Brees type in terms of size. I, I see mean, the similarities. You know, he's completing yeah. 71% of his passes, 3,800 yards, 34 touchdowns. We know about the off-the-field stuff, but that translates to the NFL as well in terms of the intangibles. Yeah, I mean, it, he's not your prototype size guy right. for, the, for the league, but you know, you're talking about a young man who's been a finalist for our award for at least a couple of years, and I think for the Davey O'Brien, at least two or th- yeah. maybe three. Yeah. So he has consistently done this over the course of time in college. It's not a surprise. He's a leader. He's a field general. He's got that it factor. You know, he's an Oklahoma quarterback. He, he reminds me of guys who came before him who have that swagger. They get out there and they lead the team. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I think he is somewhat overlooked sometimes. When you really take a look at his numbers and what he's done for that team, it's incredible. I mean, you take him out of the mix there, and things are a lot different at OU. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, and it, it's not just the numbers. It's also the intangibles. He brings something Certainly. a little different to that program. Sometimes it's not always desirable. Right, I mean, sometimes yeah. he loses his cool, but uh, but he certainly is the uh, the straw that uh, stirs that drink. Let's uh, with the time we have, Mark. Let's talk a little bit of Iron Ball. Alabama, Auburn does not get any bigger than that. Not just in terms of SEC West or Alabama, but just the national picture. Joe and I, uh, Joe and I like <laughs> Auburn today. You're probably going to think we need to have our head right? examined. I actually, I don't. Um, I think this is a tough spot for Alabama today, and the. You know, what Keith Jackson used to say, it's going to be a doozy, right? Yeah. Well, this is going to be a yeah. doozy. I, I expected this. Auburn's been getting better all year. Jared Stidham's pro, proven that, you know, that he can play. He's getting it done offensively for them. they got a running game that's probably arguably the best in the SEC right now. And Alabama's banged up. And their, whole, their whole linebacker core, with the exception of Christian Miller, who's coming back today, is out. So they have some really young people playing in there who are super talented. Dylan Moses. Dylan Moses yeah. Is, yeah. is the truth. Bright future. Okay, yeah. you're going to yeah. see that kid. Every, no he, doubt. He's on everybody's radar. Yeah. But he's playing his third game now, I think, maybe second or third game as a full-time starter. That's a big, that's a big thing to ask in the Iron Bowl. Um, being at Auburn, you know, I, I think this game's a toss-up. I, 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 would, I would tend to agree with you. I think um, – Auburn's probably got a little bit of an edge being at home. They're yeah. a little healthier. Uh, everybody's poo-pooing Alabama's schedule. I really don't put much stock in that. You play who you play. Right. You know, Mississippi State is a much different team than, than we saw yesterday when they have yeah. Nick Fitzgerald under center. Yep. Yep. So, you know, you, you're there to win the game. If either you win it by 1 or 10 or 50, it doesn't really matter. And Nick Saban's all about winning the game. Yep. So 
you know, I think it'll be uh, it'll be entertaining. I mean, I got my family with you here. They're, they're going to walk around New York. I'm finding a place to watch the Iron Bowl. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Front move. and center stage for that at 3.30. I, I, we spoke about it as well. I mean, quickly, I mean, just yes or no. Does Auburn have to attack that Alabama defense vertically? You can't go sideline to sideline. That's right into their strength. You have to attack them straight on to neutralize their speed. Yeah, they need to establish the game inside the box and then take shots when they can. Well, this is what it's all about. When we come back, we'll be joined by Game Time Decisions host Gabe Morenci. We'll get his best bets for the weekend. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. Hey, I'm Jeff. Look, I'm just a skeleton. I don't have an ACL anymore. But I'd still like to know what it means when one of my fantasy players sprains his. That's why I use the Inside Injuries app. It was created by real doctors. So you're getting information directly from people who have seen, touched, and operated on actual ACLs. Take it from me, a skeleton. If you aren't using it, you might as well just be guessing. away from kick if you want to talk best bets you bring in game time decisions host Gabe Morenci he joins us Gabe Ohio State Michigan you're rocking the Wolverine jersey yet again if the Wolverines don't win today don't talk to me for the rest of the year because I'm all over Michigan you know what uh, with the news that uh, John O'Connor will be starting at uh, quarterback <laughs> We're um, yeah 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 we're we're in a, we're in a tough spot here right now and let let's be real I mean this thing's called the game but it should be called the beatdown Ohio State is on this robbery it's it's sad to admit that we're coming into this and it's at a point right now even with Harbaugh and guys when 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 Harbaugh took over you know like really as a football fan I don't know if we've ever had a better hire the perfect guy for the perfect job. You know, everything fell into place. And I sort of thought that, you know, these Saturdays were going to be more enjoyable. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating. This is from a fan, not a better. But I'm coming into this football game feeling the same way I did, like when Brady Hoke or Rich Rodriguez was in our coach. But, oh, yeah, when Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke was our coach, we actually beat them sometimes. I mean, it, you know, it's getting kind of stale. And I understand anybody that follows Michigan knows that last year, I mean, look, they have 13 guys in the NFL draft. I mean, let, let's be real. You know, this, this team was not designed to win a national championship this year. But, you know, it's the cliche. It's unacceptable to me to lose to Michigan State. It's unacceptable to continuously lose to these other guys up here. All right? I'm tired of it. And, I, you know, I'm going to go Bobby Knight. And I'm tired of getting my ass kicked by Purdue here. You know, you guys don't get it together. I'm going to run your ass into the freaking ground. And the thing is... There's no one to run to the ground. The defense is playing great. The kids are trying. You know, I I, I pray for John O'Corn. He's a good kid. And you figure that John O'Corn, you know, you, you, know, you need a backup quarterback. How about a kid that started before? How about a kid that was a gunslinger with the Houston Cougars? How about a kid with a ton of experience? He's rattled for one reason or another. You know, Harbaugh's got to speak to him like Fraser Crane right now. Forget about everything else, John. This is it. This is what you were brought here to do to win this football game. Go out there 
have fun. Michigan are playing with house money in this football game, but I'm very disappointed that Peters couldn't go. But let's be real. It's not like Peters is Joe Montana or something like that, you know? Hey, Dylan McCaffrey, are you ready to go yet or what? You're not ready to pull that red shirt, are you, on McCaffrey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right now, Rich. <laughs> well, you know what? The funny thing is, is uh, Gabe, I, I think that is the sentiment throughout Michigan Nation. You know, the Wolverines are unhappy with what's taking place. Obviously, I said this to Joe earlier in the show. I'm not suggesting hot seat. That's ridiculous. You know, this guy's here for as long as he wants to be. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Harbaugh, considering how he's done against rivals, considering the first couple of games against Ohio yeah. State, although they competed and, and probably should have won last, uh, last year's game, if not for a bad call. I think Jim needs this game in the worst way. You know, I'm not one of these crazy fans, and I just tweeted this a little frustration earlier, you know, that, you know, some of the things that I just stated, people are like, so what, you're calling for him to be fired? And I'm like, no, obviously not. I mean, he's, you know, we've got our guy. Obviously not. And it's not the program's not in disarray. You know, they're exactly who Las Vegas thought that they were going to be. It's as simple as that. They, you know, this team is exactly they, – they played up into numbers. They've sort of played like I thought. I don't like losing to Michigan State. You know, I don't like coming into these Ohio State games as double-digit underdogs. It's not a rivalry game if it's a double-digit – you're a double-digit underdog. You know, that, that's the part that bothers me. But with that, being, uh, with that being stated, you know, the point spread's going up right now, guys, with the news uh, of O'Corn. We'll get you the updated uh, number. Um, up to 13 uh, right now. So not too much of a line move. The total is at 49 and a half right now. I think we've got a low scoring game here. And, you know, let's let's get in for, from a betting perspective. Um, I, I'm going to take a small piece of Michigan. It's not a best bet, but it's the game. So you know, let's get, get that out of the way right now. I'm going to take a small piece of Michigan plus the 13. Uh, but uh, if, if you really want to make money on this game, I really don't see how Michigan's going to move the football. I really don't. And I think Michigan will be able to contain J.T. Barrett. Uh, Don Brown has done a nice job, um, you know, of of forcing J.T. Barrett to throw the football, keeping him in the pocket. So I think Michigan's defense will hold uh, their end of the deal up. I'm not so sure about the offense. I think the under, and the under's coming down now, it's 49 and a half. Wow. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I think if Michigan wins this ball game, they're going to have to run the football game. So the under would be the play in that matchup. So we'll see. Yeah, if when, it... when have they ran the football? There's been a couple of instances where Evans has made a play here or there. That's the thing that frustrates me. It's not the record. All right. It's not the record. But I don't understand how we've got, you know, you know, we've, we've got three quarterbacks and none of them are any good. You know, I don't understand how we're Michigan with Harbaugh and our offensive line is it like bulldozing people off the, 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 the line of scrimmage. I don't understand how we, you know, we average less than four yards a rush. It's the fundamentals that bother me. Everything about the football team's great. You know, it's funny. It seems like, you know, Don Brown's doing a great job. We have no problems with his defense. It's the offense. I'm looking at Harbaugh here. And, you know, it's amazing to me. You know who the Michigan Wolverines have evolved into, guys? The Baltimore Ravens and his brother's team. You know, average to pedestrian quarterback play, great defense, and, um, you know, you know, just sort of you got to hope that you you intercept the other team, you know, 14 times in a game. That's the a great comparison. They're each other right now. That's a really good comparison. Never thought about that. That's that's fascinating. Think about the way they play right now. Yeah. This is rich, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's a, that is a great parallel. 
Although I think Michigan would like Joe Flacco as their quarterback as opposed <laughs> yeah. to John O'Corn. I would yeah. take Flacco today if he can come out and just uh, come out yeah. into the big house. Yeah, but he and... left. I think he used it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabe, what about this 12 o'clock game? It is in the Big Ten. Both teams are 5-6. and six. It's an intriguing matchup, Indiana and Purdue. I like Purdue here. I think they get a double-digit win. Really like the way this defense is playing. Yeah, you know what? I like the I like the Purdue Boilermakers in this uh, in this football game as well. Jeff Brom's done a great uh, job. Uh, they can get bowl eligibility uh, with, with the win here. That's a game that I do have my eye on actually as well. I like the Purdue Boilermakers in this spot. Gabe, uh, I, I don't know if it's a best bet, but obviously I have to ask you about the Iron Bowl. Biggest game of the day. Joe and I are both favoring Auburn. I think it'll be a close, competitive. I think what you see is what you get from these two football teams. But I, I think at the end of the day, Daniel Carlson, with his foot, will win it for Auburn. Uh, what do you think? You know, I'm looking at this uh, football game, and I like Jared Stidham a lot. I was I was so excited when, when he, he announced he was going to Auburn. I'm a big Gus Malzahn fan uh, as well. But with that being uh, with, with all that being stated, you, you look at the rivalry of this, and you hear people talk, and this is the best rivalry game right now. You know, people can talk about the game, but if we're talking about the, a game that has national championship implications on an annual basis, then clearly it is uh, the Iron Bowl. Uh, but I know there's a fallacy out there that all oh, the Iron Bowl is always close. It's never close. Like, you know, it's never close. We had that one game, with the, you know, one game with, with the missed field goal. And uh, when was that? Uh, we're going back to... Uh, 13, I think back, it was, yeah. Yeah, 2013. So other than that, 18-point win last year for Alabama, 16-point win a year before that for Alabama, 11-point win a year before that for Alabama. All right, the 34-28 game. Before that, it was 49 nothing for Alabama. 42-14. Uh, for Alabama. We have to go back to 2010. Auburn beat him in 2010. So I, I don't know. I, I must be missing something in all these close games that these teams play. Jared Stidham might be a better combine quarterback, you know, as far as the NFL draft is concerned, uh, than Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has been in more big games, has handled the pressure more. Nick's, you know, it's amazing to me. People just, oh, you know, they got injuries. They're not playing as well. You know, you know this and that. And they don't. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, we're talking about Alabama here. There's a reason why the point spread's going up right now, because the, you know the smart guys are jumping in uh, on the tide here. I think Alabama's pedigree in big games will just be too much. I think they, they'll be able to slow down the rushing attack. They're going to force. They're going to slow down Williams. Then they're going to force Jared Stidham to throw the football and beat him. He's going to turn the ball over. I don't think it's a blowout, but I think a. Uh, I think a defensive, uh, a defensive touchdown is going to be the difference here. I think the Bama defense will step up, make a play, put the ball in the end zone for them like they always do in a big game, or at least give uh, give uh, Hurts in that offense some great field position along the way. I think Alabama win this game. I will be betting uh, Alabama in this game, and it is one of my better bets. Uh, I'm laying the points with, uh, with Bama in the Iron Bowl. Gabe, great insight. We'll get you on next hour. We'll talk about those 3.30 and 8 o'clock ball games. We'll talk to you in about an hour. Oh, I'm fired up, man. I'm fired up for the Battle uh, the battle of Nevada. And uh, I've got some strong insight on this one. It's crazy. Out of all these games, I'm actually looking forward to that game the most, man. I want to see the Rebels get into a bowl. We'll see Armani Rogers playing very yeah. well. Uh, the one thing that he brought up, he, he's against us on Alabama and Auburn. I mean, you, I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, no, I Nick understand Saban's the rationale for sure. Ma- I mean, yeah. 
Here's the thing. I mean, is the pressure go back on Gus Malzahn if they get blown out today? I mean, he's, he's sort of skidded he, by, you know, every other coach. Bielma's well, gone. Well, a couple of things to keep in mind. I, I, I think he got a, I think he earned a lot of goodwill and equity with that victory over Georgia, number one. And number two, it's swirling around that he might want to go back home to Arkansas. The opening is there. The Razorback administration would love to have Gus Malzahn, an Arkansas native, back in the state. So whether he kind of winds up on the hot seat, I think this man's going to have a job either way in 2018. Well, prior to going to Auburn, he was the coach of Arkansas State. Yes, so, coach of Arkansas State, a high school legend yes, in the state of Arkansas. So, yeah, also coached at Tulsa, if you recall. Yeah, right? that yeah. would put Auburn into uncertainty. Who goes there? You know who the backup plan is? Tell Bobby me. Petrino. Yeah, well, Suppose, they, they had their eyes on yeah, him at one so, time, didn't they? Yeah. We'll see what happens in the Iron Bowl. It's a 3.30 kick when we come back. With rapid fire selections. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Studio 34. The only radio programming that is for the ears of the fantasy elite is, of course, Fantasy Freestyle with Dane Martinez. What? Are you kidding? Not my show. My show is for all the people. Bring that promo back. This is Dane Martinez, Speeds, the spitting statistician, and you can check out my show, Fantasy Freestyle, every night, Monday through Friday. I give you my top five, dead or alive. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. My starting lineup. And now, the starting lineup. And you can join the cypher with me, Speeds, the spitting statistician. Yeah, yeah. I break down every stat from every game so your fantasy teams can blow up like a Samsung 7. To it, Texas A&M on the road in Baton Rouge, Death Valley. Probably Kevin Sumlin's last game as head coach for the Aggies. Darius Geis had a huge day last year. 285 yeah. rushing yards, school record. I think LSU wins, but I would take the points with Texas A&M here. I was leaning towards Texas A&M at the beginning of the week, and then I heard the news about Kevin Sumlin. It worries me what the mindset of those Aggies are going to be heading into this game. Apparently the news is that regardless of what happens in Baton Rouge, Joe, Kevin Sumlin will, will be coaching his final game uh, for Texas A&M. That's a concern of mine. I like where Texas A&M has been playing lately. Nick Starkle's provided a, a little bit of a jolt to the offense. I got to go with LSU right now. I'm worried about the mindset of the Aggies. Lamar Jackson on the road in Lexington. They lost this matchup in Papa John's last year, 41-38. to They're playing much better, coming off a dominating home win over Syracuse. But I like Kentucky here. I think their front seven has the type of game plan to contain Lamar Jackson, force him to beat them over the top. I like Benny Snell. I like Steven Johnson. I think they get the outright win over the Cardinal yeah, Joe, later tonight. I'm with you on this one. I'm surprised by the line. I think it's too high. It's all predicated on Lamar Jackson taking the game over. But while Louisville has played better, especially defensively, I've been impressed. I, I like Benny Snell. I like the defensive talent in the front seven of Kentucky. And at home, in a rivalry game as hostile as this one, I think Kentucky at worst keeps it close. Yeah, NC State coming off a road loss to Wake Forest, 30-24 to last week. They come back home and face in-state rival North Carolina 
playing much better, 3-8 and eight overall, but I think this is a bad matchup for the Tar Heels. Offensive line concerns for North Carolina going up against Bradley Chubb in that defensive front seven. I think they force third down in long situations, get some quarterback pressures, look for Jalen Samuels and Ryan Finley to break out. I think they cover this number. Well, I, I, I see your rationale. I'm going to go with the Tar Heels simply because I think it matters more. It's kind of a an old statement, but I think for North Carolina, which is at a rough season, I think this is their bowl game, a rivalry game against NC State, whereas, you know, the Wolfpack had such high hopes a couple of weeks ago, but the back-to-back losses, demoralizing uh, to Notre Dame, to Clemson, and then last week a really tough loss at the end where the kid fumbled at the end zone against Wake Forest. I I don't know if NC State's going to be really jacked up for this game. North Carolina will play with more passion and cover the spread. Yeah, ACC clash. It's Duke sitting at 5-6 and six on the road to face John Wolford and a hot Wake Forest team. David Cutcliffe and the crew playing a little bit better. They right. knocked off Georgia Tech last week, but I think this is a, a sleeping giant in Wake Forest. Love what Wolford's done with that yeah. offense. Uh, there's no question. I mean, John Wolford's been one of the breakout stars in the country. I think, I think he actually played his way into possible contention to be drafted maybe third day but i think it could be drafted next year he's played that well i like duke in this game because i think they found the formula for success last week after really struggling for a long stretch they finally started to run the ball and you can run the ball on wake forest as well as the deacons have played this year they've been very soft surprisingly soft defensively i think this is a shootout i'll take the nine and a half points and the blue devils yeah wolford does have 24 touchdowns three interceptions i like wake forest in that matchup rich does like Duke in that ball game? Arizona, Arizona State, Rich Rod and Khalil Tate. I'm going with uh, Graham and the crew. You I are. like I like him, uh, Caitlin Balaj. I like Richard and I like Manny Wilkins. I think they could attack that Arizona defense vertically. Very soft on defense, Arizona. I like Tate. I think he's the best player in this game. I think it'll be entertaining, high scoring. I'll take Arizona on the road to beat the Sun Devils. Matt Campbell and the crew on the road against Bill Snyder and Kansas State. Both teams hurt me last week. I'm going back <laughs> to my to you. I'm going back to my roots. I know where I you're going. I love the Cyclones. Well, of course you do. More blue collar than Kansas State, and I look for David Montgomery to break out later I, today. I will take Kansas State. Again, I've talked about their special teams, but I like where Skylar Thompson has gone the last couple of weeks. Thought he played well in that just unbelievable upset of Oklahoma State. I'll take Kansas State at home in Manhattan to beat Iowa State. Just when you think Kansas State is down and out, they shock you as a 21-point under dog when we come back we'll be breaking down the rest of the top 25 battles joe lisi and rich sermonella live in the fantasy sports radio network studio 34 the only radio programming that is for the ears of the fantasy elite is of course fantasy freestyle with dane martinez what? Are you kidding? Not my show. My show is for all the people. Bring that promo back. This is Dane Martinez, Speeds, the spitting statistician, and you can check out my show, Fantasy Freestyle, every night, Monday through Friday. I give you my top five, dead or alive. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. My starting lineup. And now, the starting lineup. And you can join the cipher with me, Speeds the Spittin' Statistician. Yeah, yeah! I break down every stat from every game so your fantasy teams can blow up like a Samsung 7. Ooh, ooh. 
Fantasy Freestyle every night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. Top 25 battles, no margin for error. Week number 13, it doesn't get better than this. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Here at Fantasy Sports Radio and Television Network, we've partnered up with a great organization. It is DKMS. It's an organization looking to delete blood cancer throughout the nation by getting donors rich. This is an organization that's very close to both of our families as we've spoken about it over the last couple of months. Yeah, I I mean, uh, blood cancer, unfortunately, has hit my family. It has hit you and your family as well. So we know what the the ravages, we know what uh, what, uh, this is all about when it comes to leukemia or any kind of blood disorder, blood cancer. And and I applaud what DKMS is doing. They've partnered with Fantasy. And you could play free Fantasy football games every week of the NFL season, win your week, and you'll be put in a pool in week 17 with an opportunity to walk away with Super Bowl tickets. So I would encourage our audience to go to their website. Why don't you give the website and uh, see if fans will head over there. Yeah, join up. It's free. It's weekly winners, and then you'll be put into the pool for Super Bowl 52. Go to dailyroto.com backslash DKMS. That's dailyroto.com backslash DKMS or rotoexperts.com backslash DKMS or call 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. Join, play, and win. It doesn't get better than that. Another Big 12 battle, Rich, is West Virginia, Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield will not play. Oklahoma's dominated the last five matchups. They've won five straight over the Mountaineers by 14 points per game and won this matchup in Morgantown last year, 56-28. to But I think... Chugging off in the crew, keep this game very close. In the end, Oklahoma 31, West Virginia 21. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we all get a little bit cheated in this game, Joe. I would have loved to have seen Baker will play. He's not going to start this game. Kyler Murray will. But I would have loved to have seen 60 minutes of Will Greer versus Baker Mayfield. Will Greer obviously injured his hand in last week's loss to Texas. He will not play. Chugging off will play. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I'd be inclined to take the points. I'm not sure if Oklahoma is going to be motivated for all 60 minutes. They've got TCU next week in the return of the Big 12 championship game in Arlington, Texas. I, I think they'll pull away. But what's this number? North of three touchdowns? It's 22 and a half. Here's yeah. what I look at as well. I mean, those wide receivers of David Sills, White, and Jennings have a combined rates for 206 receptions, 2,889 receiving yards. 30 receiving touchdowns, and when you look at Oklahoma, only three sacks over the last couple of games. If yeah. Chuganoff has time, I think he could attack that secondary that's given up 250-plus. Yeah, the one thing I'm really interested to see, you know, Baker Mayfield is last season. This is sort of a preview of what the Oklahoma offense might look like in 2018 and beyond. Kyler Murray, for folks who don't know, began his career at Texas A&M 
was really one of the top three or four high school recruits at the position in the entire country. Five-star kid, decided to transfer. Going to be exciting to see what he can do in a preview for next season. Yeah, watch him on the ground. Once he breaks contain, he's a Lamar Jackson type of player. When we come back, we'll be breaking down Clemson, South Carolina, Notre Dame, and all the top 25 battles. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe Pizzapia, best-selling author of the Fantasy Black Book series, and right now you can get the 2017 Fantasy Football Black Book on Amazon as we speak. What are you waiting for? You can get it for ebook for your Kindle or for paperback, and it's not just me this year. No, I brought in some friends. I got Jake Seely. I got Sammy Reed. I got Gary Davenport. I got championships, and they're waiting for you. Find out why the Fantasy Black Book is number one best-selling in fantasy sports for the tenth straight time. You know why? Because once you go Black Book, you never go back. Huge matchup taking place at 12 p.m. Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has won two of the last three over my dogs, Rich. Georgia needs this game to... I think that's one of the big reasons Paul Johnson still has a job, to be honest <laughs> with Georgia you. Georgia needs those. this game yeah. to really mo- maintain momentum, and more importantly, if they have any shot at the college football playoff, they need to dominate today, get back on track, even though they rushed for 381 yards against Kentucky last week. That front seven's going to be challenged later today. I think they get it done. I, I call them for the 20-point victory, 40-20, to 20, the dogs over the Yellow Jackets. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at this point i have not been impressed by georgia tech offensively or defensively it has not been a traditionally good georgia tech offensive line they tend to be small quick athletic fast off the snap they have not been that team this year and it's hurt taquan marshall and Cervante benson uh tough loss last week against duke which was reeling heading into week uh 12 so i i you know georgia tech is headed in the wrong direction I will say on the flats in Atlanta, they are undefeated. They're 5-0 and at home, 0-5 on the road. That's something for Georgia to contend with. But as long as the Bulldogs are properly motivated, if their head is in the right place, not looking ahead to what happens between Alabama and Auburn and who their opponent is uh, next weekend in Atlanta, I, I think Georgia should be able to take care of business and run away from Georgia Tech. Well, here's what I look at when I break this game down. I mean, the way you have to defend the triple option is you need big physical defensive tackles that could disrupt the timing of the triple option zone blocking scheme, and that's what Georgia possesses. They've got it. Plus, they have linebackers that can run sideline to sideline, so I think they could force Georgia Tech into long third down situations, and when I look at Georgia Tech over the better teams in terms of front sevens in the ACC, teams like Clemson, teams like Virginia Tech, teams like Virginia, they've only converted 17 of 56 third down conversions. That's 30%. They're going up against a very solid, possibly one of the best defensive fronts in the SEC in Georgia, and I think that's the difference. Look for Nick Chubb, Sony Michelle, and Jake Fromm in the play-action passing game to get going. I think they dominate. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Fromm because if you have a concern about Georgia in the big picture, whether it's SEC title game, national championship, or, or playoff aspirations, you look at the fact that they could be an unbalanced offense. You know, you could defend the run, defend Michelle, uh, defend Nick Chubb, you know, in order to put pressure on Jake Fromm. But 
pressure is not something that the Georgia Tech defense has been able to dial up this season. Just 17 sacks, no major scary talents at the line of scrimmage. So I, I think when Jake Fromm does drop back to pass, when he is throwing on play action, I don't think he's going to feel a lot of heat from that Georgia Tech team. I, I think this is a team that's headed in the wrong direction. Yeah, they can run the ball, but to your point, Georgia does a great job of defending the run with Roquan Smith with Lorenzo Carter, with David Bellamy on the second level. Those guys go from sideline to sideline very quickly. I mean, Georgia Tech will be motivated. you got a bowl sure. game at stake. You have your rival in your house. But if Georgia can build an early cushion, get a lead on Georgia Tech, I, I think it's a way we go. I, I think this could be a 17 to a 21-point victory for the Bulldogs. I agree with you. And when you look at this ball game last year between the hedges, Georgia had a 26-14 fourth-quarter lead with about seven minutes left before former Georgia Tech quarterback Justin Thomas took over. In terms of the passing game, Taquan Marshall's an inexperienced quarterback right. in terms of first-year starter. And when you look at forcing teams out of their game plan, the way you have to beat the triple option, score first, force them to come from behind. That's the way Clemson did it. And when you rely on that front seven and more importantly, a secondary led by Dominic Sanders, that's the matchup as well. I think Fromm could have a big day here. Possibly two, three touchdown passes through the air. And I think Kirby Smart will want to build the confidence up of his true freshman quarterback because if there's a missing piece of the puzzle, that would be it at this point. He's a young kid. He was in high school last year. He's played exceptionally well and he has played in some big games but the last time we saw him on the big stage, not all his fault, but against Auburn, he did not play well. The yeah. offense was abysmal. The defense was also. But I don't think there's a ton of pressure on Georgia. I, I think Georgia can play fast and loose, realizing that their season hinges on the SEC title game next week. That'll be a huge one against either Auburn or Alabama. But this will be a game that they use as a tune-up to get revenge against Georgia Tech, to send the Yellow Jackets home for the holidays, no bowl game. I still like this Georgia team. I think it's close to a complete football team. Again, Kirby Smart will want to unleash Jake Fromm, build up his confidence before facing one of those defenses from Alabama or Auburn. Yeah, you think it's high scoring? No, I'm, I think Georgia puts I do. up a 40 spot on them. Yeah, I do think it'll be high scoring because I don't like the Georgia Tech defense. I, I think Georgia will have a lot of success running the ball. Georgia Tech, I could see possibly with a touchdown or two late to kind of narrow the margin, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was, uh, I'm going to say, Joe, uh, 38 to 21 Georgia 38 to, yeah so we're in agreement yeah. right around there I yeah. think it, it could be close in the first half Listen, but Georgia does pull away look at what Georgia Tech did last week against the Duke running game right they could not stop the Blue Devils on the ground that is a bad blueprint for stopping the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, this is a Georgia offense averaging 262 rushing yards on the ground. They did rush for 381 against a solid front seven in Kentucky last week on Senior Day. We'll turn our attention to a critical Pac-12 battle. It is the Apple Cup where Washington has won seven of the last eight meetings. Mike Leach making comments about the college football playoff. Making comments about weddings? I don't even know what he was talking about. He makes about. comments about anything. That's why he's so much fun for the sport. It's great to have him back. But I like Washington State here. I do, too. I, I think they get the victory. I picked Washington State to win the division. I'm not backing down now. This is the game that I had circled. I think they get a seven-point win over the Huskies later today. Yeah, never easy to win in Seattle. Never easy for Washington State just to beat Washington. I mean, they've been snake-bitten. They've been overmatched in this series. 
But for me, it, it's it's less about Washington State and more about Washington. I have not been impressed by the Huskies. You know, Jake Browning last year, 43 touchdown passes. So far this year, just 18. And the defense has been far more vulnerable than we've seen in recent seasons. Look at the game last week in which they had to rally to beat a marginal Utah team. Uh, the pass defense struggled against Tyler Huntley last week, 33-30 to victory for the Huskies. But with that secondary being a little bit vulnerable, now you have to face Mike Leach, his quarterback, Luke Falk, who appears to be back on track after being benched for a time this season. And, you know, Washington State's offense, I talked about Washington's offense. Washington State's offense has been inefficient as well compared to recent seasons. I like Washington State because of the defense. I love the way they fly around the field. They create turnovers. They get to the quarterback. Hercules Mata'afa, I think, will be the best defensive player in this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to come down to the final drive or two. I'll say Washington pulls it out, extends the streak, but this is far too many points to be giving a rival uh, in a game of this magnitude. I agree, and I like the Washington State running backs of Wicks, Morrow, and Williams. Not only their ability to run the football, but how they're utilizing the short to intermediate passing game, but in order for Washington State to win this matchup, it will come down to the offensive line that's allowed 39 total sacks as an offensive unit. I mean, look for Washington in that defense to blitz early on to get pressure on Luke Falk. Noah Zim Victor, he has been suspended for Washington one of the two or three best defensive players for the Huskies, along with Vita Vea up front. Controlling Vea is going to be a priority. He's big. He's like a dancing bear on the inside of that Huskies defensive line. Very big, but very quick off the snap as well. The Washington State offensive line, Joe, that's been one of my big surprises this season. I expected so much from Cody O'Connell, his line mates. They have not delivered this season, allowing a ton of sacks which has hurt the efficiency of the passing game, has hurt the running backs that you mentioned as well. They need to deliver on the road. That'll be a great atmosphere with a lot at stake, not just for Washington State, but again, if the Cougars fall in this game, Stanford then moves on, wins the Pac-12 North, and faces USC next week. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, last year at home in Pullman, Luke Falk had problems within the red zone. They were able to force turnovers to get that victory. I'm calling 37-30. to 30. How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I think it'll be played in the 30s. I think it'll be close throughout. Yeah. I, I do. I mean, Washington State's got to be careful. I mean, on the road this season, they have been blown out multiple times. They have not been a good road team, so they better have their head on a swivel, better be able to handle the speed of the Washington defense, and also special teams. This is one of those games that Dante Pettis can take over with his ability, not just as a wide receiver, but as a return man, too. Whatever you do, you know, kick it out of bounds, do rugby kicks, anything. Do not allow Dante Pettis to touch the ball on special yeah, teams. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. It is an 8 o'clock kick. It is on ESPN. Another intriguing battle. I'm all over this matchup. Florida State and Florida, both teams 4-6. and six. Florida State looking to become bowl eligible. They've won four straight by 19.5 points per game. But the better defense at this point in the season, in my opinion, is the Gators. They get a seven-point victory over the Seminoles. Uh, I'm with you, Joe. The, the, the this was one of the first games I looked at back on Monday, and I was like, why is Florida State giving anyone points on the road at this point? I mean, these are two similar teams struggling offensively, individual talent on defense. You know, it's all going to come down to want to, 
But in a game like this in Gainesville, I'd rather take the points. I'm not as confident as you because I don't know what to expect from that Florida offense, but I'll take the Gators as well. Yeah, I like Florida. They're holding opposing offenses to 55% completion percentage. They do have 13 total interceptions on the year, six total sacks over the last two games, and they're starting to run the football. They put up 257 last week against UAB. We'll see how it plays out at 12 p.m. When we come back, we'll be joined by former Ohio State Quarterback Greg Fry. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Does your favorite fantasy sports show pair banging on the table demanding shots? Drinks on Greg. Drinks on Greg. Drinks on Greg. With deep, smart Kareem Hunt analysis? If not, then I think the fantasy BFFs are for you. Every weekday at 11 a.m. here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network and on YouTube Live. Join Greg Sussman, Frank Stanfield, Mike Florio, and NXT wrestler Eric Young for some of the best, most enjoyable, most imaginative fantasy analysis out there. Don't get your fantasy from boring people. No! This is the Fantasy Football Best Friends Forever. Check out the Fantasy BFFs 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Every weekday only on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network and the Fantasy Sports YouTube page. Just about 40 minutes away from the start of Ohio State and Michigan. If you want to get the deep insight, you reach out to a former star from Columbus. He's live on the Fantasy Sports Celebrity Guest Line that has played in this series. Former Ohio State quarterback, Greg Fry. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm ready for the early kickoff, the noon kickoff that it always is. Greg, this is what it's all about in terms of rivalries. We hear about Alabama and Auburn, but this rivalry doesn't really get bigger in the state of Ohio. Talk to fans about what it means to play against Michigan and what the fans could expect in terms of an atmosphere. Well, the atmosphere in this game to me is second to none. I mean, it just you know, I, I played in this game four times. I suited up five times. I was redshirted in 1986 and got to be a part of that, and that was the year that Jim Har- Harbaugh guaranteed a victory, and I was I was in the stadium to witness that. Uh, but it, you know the intensity for this game and the preparation and the week leading up to it is really unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I know for me, uh, you know, my, my first year as a starter in this game just was I, it took me a quarter and a half to settle down <laughs> and actually uh, just get into playing the game at that point because there was just so much energy involved. So it is. Uh, it is spectacular, and I don't see any reason why today is going to be no different. Um, you know, when you've got it, what looks like a lopsided game on paper, but, you know, a team that um, is wounded in the Wolverines that you just never know what you're going to see out of them. But I'm, I'm, I promise you that the intensity uh, in Michigan Stadium will be there for sure. Greg, Ohio State has been so dominant of late, five straight, 12 of the last 13, which I'm sure is music to your ears at this point. Does that have any kind of an impact on the rivalry, any kind of a residual effect in recent years and how that impacts uh, the approach to this game? I mean, I, I think from an outsider's perspective, Rich, I would say yes, just because, you know, it, it, and again, it looks on paper like it's, like it's lopsided, but um, internally, no, because they, they understand, <clears throat> meaning the Buckeyes and the Wolverines understand how important this game is to both programs, and 
um, I would think over time it'll 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 even itself out. I mean, over, historically, Michigan still holds the advantage of more wins in this series, and it you know there was a time not too long ago when it was lopsided in the other directions in the 1990s um, and the early 2000s. So, you know, that's kind of a trend. But you know, when you see it, uh, you know, last week for example, Ohio State beats. Uh, Illinois, and then they turn the page, and it's like, listen, this is the week. It's it's time to get ready for this game, and um, there's an intensity and a focus that that hasn't changed. And I'm sure that it's the same on the other side. Because if you think about, I thought about this morning. You know, what if Michigan could win this game? What would that do for their season and for Jim Harbaugh? And that, that's significant for them. So let me tell you, the intensity is going to be there, and uh, and the rivalry is back for sure. Greg, when you look at the quarterback, J.T. Barrett, I mean, he started a little inconsistent week number one against Indiana, now has 32 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And you look at the, I want to say, the inefficiency of Michigan's quarterback position over the last few weeks, not knowing who's going to start. It'll probably be John O'Corn. But from an offensive perspective, I would expect Urban Meyer to be very aggressive early on with J.T. Barrett to force uh, the pressure on Michigan's defense and, and, more importantly, the offense to match them score for score well you know it's a good point you look at his stats i mean seven interceptions five of those are their losses four of them against iowa and one against uh, oklahoma you know so when he's played poorly they've lost when he's turned the football over uh but outside of that he's been a machine <laughs> in the last two weeks the same thing this, this offense the last two weeks has come out of the gate firing and putting up touchdown touchdown and i was in the stadium last week against illinois it was it was 28 nothing in the first quarter. They couldn't score fast enough. And when that happens, the defense is getting it done, too, because the defense is getting three and outs and scoring. So this is an offense that wants to go at a fast pace. Um, you, know, you talk about the passing game. On paper, the two passing games couldn't be any more different. You know, Michigan's got eight touchdowns on the year with their three-headed monster quarterback. And, uh, and, and Peters has been the most consistent. He's done four touchdowns against no interceptions, but he got injured last week and. It looks like O'Corn's going to be the guy, but with, with Jim Harbaugh, you never know who it's going to be. But to me, that position has struggled for them this year. Eight touchdowns is just that is not a good number. Um, they've done very well rushing the football. So to me, when I look at this game, yeah, I think Ohio State's going to be aggressive because that's Urban Meyer's style. But I think it comes down to, you know, it, it's kind of a cliche, but the team that runs the ball better is going to win the game. And, and Michigan has had some success running the ball with the exception of last week, but the Buckeyes have been on fire rushing the football the last two weeks. And you really dig inside the stats. They've rushed for over 300 yards the last two weeks. And you have the reemergence of Mike Weber along with J.K. Dobbins. And the rushing game has been hot. And to me, that's where I really see a difference in this ballgame. Yeah, you, you went exactly where I was going to go, Greg, which is Mike Weber injured. You know, banged up in September wasn't as big of a factor. So Dobbins, uh, he toted it for a while. But uh, now that you have both running backs healthy and contributing how much does that not only help the offense as a whole but how much of an impact does that have on jt barrett uh, it's huge because it's you know as a quarterback when you have a running game that's uh, operating at a high level it just opens up the passing game with the play action passing game and you know there's just it takes the pressure off you don't have to be one-dimensional um and geez i mean it's it's an injection of of adrenaline in, in this offense uh, especially after what happened in Iowa. You know, all of a sudden Weber shows up and, and, you know, gets Michigan State, busts two long runs and has a huge day. And he's got back-to-back 100-yard rushing games in, in splitting time. 
which is pretty incredible. And he just he looks like a different person. He's he looks faster. He looks leaner. And I think sometimes that's what's going to happen when you have motivation when somebody else is having success and he has risen to the occasion. But when you look at what he's done rushing the football, uh, certainly what Dobbins has a chance to set their, their freshman re- um, rushing record for Ohio State, which is no small feat. And with Barrett rushing the football, those three rushing the football, that is intimidating. I don't care who you are defensively. Michigan's pretty good against the run. But that's tough to stop when you've got three guys to the football with that much effectiveness. Greg, when you look at Ohio State, a lot has been said that they're possibly on the outside looking in right now, but if they were to dominate Michigan today and then dominate Wisconsin next week in the Big Ten championship game and the chips fall in their favor, this team could possibly be in the college football playoff. Does that factor in in terms of a pressure perspective on this team on the road in Ann Arbor today? No, I don't think so. I think uh, this team is used to playing under pressure. I think they realize... They're very good at being in the moment. They understand that this is a rivalry. They understand they're going to take Michigan's best shot and that, and that Michigan's got a lot on the line, too. Uh, they're fully aware of that. But I think behind closed doors, you know, Urban Meyer would never say it to the media, but they know full well that they've got to win this game. They need to win this game convincingly. Um, so I think, as Richard alluded to earlier, you know, being starting fast and being aggressive, I would definitely expect that. Um, and, you know, if, if they can control the tempo of this game and dictate what they want it to be, it's going to be fast and furious. And, and, man, when they get the football, it's how fast can we score. So they know what's at stake. But I don't, I don't look at it from the pressure standpoint of, of, of you know, being intimidating and, and, and feeling that pressure. This team's really good at not feeling that, just taking care of their business. Greg, we've talked a lot about offense. Uh, defensively, I think the biggest edge for the Buckeyes will be at the line of scrimmage. Uh, obviously, so much talent, so much depth along that defensive line. Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan. Uh, Michigan has struggled in pass protection, and that has not helped the passing game in the quarterback situation. How big of an edge do you see when Michigan has the ball at the line of scrimmage? Well, I think one of my keys as I look at this game, if I'm Michigan offensively, is they've got to have success on first and second down because they cannot afford to get in third and long. Because if you, when Ohio State, their package in third and long is to bring all four of those guys in on a rush situation, and I don't care, you can't stop that. I mean, they get to the quarterback fast. It's a race to the quarterback. So Michigan cannot afford to get in third and long situations and put their quarterback in that in that situation because Ohio State's going to feast on that. Um, so it just comes back to having success on first down and second down, whether throwing the football or throwing the football. You know, maybe Harbaugh opens it up and throws it more on first down, but he can't be in third long. That's a that's a no win situation for Michigan um, and Ohio State. Boy, if they get in third long, they're going to pin their ears back, and come after them. And you know, I watched that firsthand last week, and it is it is intense when they bring those guys all in the rush quarterback at the same time. So, um, doesn't bode well for Michigan. But again, I you know. I have respect for Jim Harbaugh, and when I see games like this that look lopsided, you know you got to be careful because this is a team that's practiced all year. They know what they're doing. They've had success running the football. You know if they can put a package together for one day and have success on first and second down and control the clock and control the tempo of the game, they can they can be a factor and be in this game in the second half, which would be scary for the Buckeyes. Greg, great insight and information. We love having you on. After the Big Ten Championship game, if Ohio State prevails, we'd love to get your take and uh, talk about the bowl season. I would love that. We're going to find out a lot in the next seven days, as you guys know. It's a great day for for, uh, college football, so I appreciate always you guys having me on. 
the comeback kid, Ohio State quarterback, former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Here's what I uh, agree with him in terms of neutralizing the pass rush for both teams, whether it be Ohio State's front seven or Michigan. Look for the short to intermediate passing game, especially on screens, where you can neutralize the pass rush, dump it out into the flat, get those offensive linemen out in space. That could be a game plan for Michigan in this matchup. Especially, as Greg said, if Ohio State is pinning its ears back and, and really having that race to the backfield, race to the quarterback, that's a perfect opportunity for screens, for draws, for little dump-offs and slants in the flat. I don't think you're going to see a lot of completed passes deep downfield because these are I, – I don't know if we've seen a better matchup of defensive lines in the same building this year as we will today between Ohio State and Michigan. Maybe, you know, Clemson-Auburn would be one that, that would be, you know, a possibility. But Michigan-Ohio State is a – terrific matchup of defensive line. I said 17-13. It'll probably be 50-46. to 46. It'll be a <laughs> triple, it'll be overtime. A, right, triple overtime, yeah. you know, barn burner with, you know, high-scoring offense. Yeah. Uh, defenses won't even show up later today, you know. Yeah, all of a sudden, John O'Corn will be the second <laughs> Seven coming. interception. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. It is a 12 o'clock kick. When we come back, Game Time Decisions host, Gabe Morenci, Joe Lisi, and Rich Sermonello. Fantasy Sports Radio Network Studio 34. Hey, I'm Jeff. Look, I'm just a skeleton. I don't have an ACL anymore, but I'd still like to know what it means when one of my fantasy players sprains his. That's why I use the Inside Injuries app. It was created by real doctors. So you're getting information directly from people who have seen, touched, and operated on actual ACLs. Take it from me, a skeleton. If you aren't using it, you might as well just be guessing. Download the free app today and unlock the secrets of injury analysis. Great insight and information from former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. A couple of intriguing developments before we get to Gabe. Chip Kelly named the new head coach of UCLA, and Nebraska has fired Mike Riley after their dominating home loss to Iowa. Gabe, any thoughts about the recent hiring and firing of Chip Kelly and Mike Riley? Yeah, I'm arguing with people on Twitter as we speak right now (laughs) about this. People are uh, taking shots at uh, Chip Kelly. And uh, believing this isn't a, an awesome hire, I got to tell you, you know, I, I'm sure that uh, Clay Helton sort of had a chill down his spine this morning without knowing what just happened. You know, the, the USC Trojans, let's be real, guys. The Oregon Ducks' success has been built on California. You know, you, you, the, the Oregon Ducks didn't become a power under Chip Kelly uh, because they were recruiting locally, all right? Yeah, they got the best of the local kids, but for the most part, he invaded Los Angeles, California, and I'll tell you what: for a guy, um, um, for a guy that lives in New Hampshire, man, um, he's got a lot of connections on the West Coast in California. I love this right now. I'm, ex- I'm really excited. I'm not even a UCLA fan. I used to live in Los Angeles, um, you know, so I, I've got a soft spot in my heart uh, for them. But uh, I'm really excited. For the most part, guys, the dual threat quarterback. Let's, you know, let's just call it out for what it is. But for the most part, UCLA. And USC have had that six foot five blonde kid, right? And and USC's always been that way. You know, there hasn't been a lot of brothers at the quarterback position uh, in South Central, ironically enough, have there? 
No. Um, and UCLA, there's been a few, but for the most part, they like it pretty, um, you know, pretty Ken and Barbie there as well. I'm excited for the kids locally right now in Los Angeles. All these local uh, dual threat quarterbacks and option quarterbacks that are playing locally in Los Angeles that are going to have an opportunity now to play at UCLA potentially. And maybe maybe USC doesn't like the same style of quarterback as Chip Kelly does, but Chip's going to invade the running backs. He's going to go after these DBs. Uh, th- this is real, guys. I'm not saying that UCLA becomes a national championship uh, you know, contender on an annual basis, but we're, I, you know, I think Chip's going to win double-digit uh, games on a yearly basis. Great, great hire. Great hire, in my opinion, in Los Angeles. Well, not just a great hire. I, I think it's a great choice as well. I know a lot of people thought he should uh, should have taken the Florida offer. I'd like your quick take on this, Gabe. UCLA, to me, if I'm a coach in that position, I'm going to the Bruins. I think you'll be more appreciated. Why be in that hornet's nest of the yep. SEC? He could go 9-4 and four at Florida, and they'll be talking about booting him out. To me, I wouldn't want any part of that. Go to L.A., enjoy the Pac-12. He knows the Pac-12. I think he'll be wildly successful in a short period of time. You're exactly right. If you look at it from a political standpoint, first out Florida job, I, it's – it, you know, it's still a top 10 job. I get it. Uh, but you're in a tough spot in the SEC. Nobody's ever happy, no matter what you do. Malcolm Wayne was a good coach. You know, bad scenario. The wheels sort of fell off uh, there. And not to mention the recruiting situation. You know, Chip Kelly just doesn't have that same sort of pull uh, in the South as he does out West. Now you get into a media perspective. You know, and, you know UCLA is still a basketball school. I, I don't. I don't care. They could hire, you know, John Gruden, you know, t- tomorrow. They're still a basketball school. It does. Bill Belichick. They're still a basketball school. So they're always going to be a basketball school first. You've, you know, USC is still, you know, let's be real. UCLA football isn't overly popular in Los Angeles. Okay. So as he stated, he's playing with house money here. Anything he does. I mean, how many beat writers are there that cover the Bruins? You're, you're exactly right, Rich. From 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 a life perspective, and I tell you, the guy seems to be a West Coast guy. You know, he, he likes it out there. And you're right, the media will be respectful of him. Whatever he does will be good. And if it doesn't work, you know, there'll be patience uh, shown. You know, it, it's it's a perfect uh, perfect fit for him. And I don't know, it looks like Nebraska. Is this a perfect fit? You know, does does Brett uh, Belima deserve a job right now after the after the the bad job that he just did? in Arkansas, but it wouldn't shock me if he pops up in Nebraska. But, guys, I've got eight best bets that I'm ready to fire off and I'm ready to make some money with today. Fire away, Gabe. Let's hear them. 12, 3.30, or 8 o'clock kicks? All, all, all of the above. And, uh, yeah, we're not going to make Chip Kelly-type money, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Or Rich Sermonello-type money. Uncle Rich, yeah, or, or, he's yeah, locked or, and loaded after a 4-2 and two week last week. Best picker I know. Yeah, no, that, I that, that was that, that was. These guys are too kind. No, I know what Shout you're doing. Shout out to my <laughs> fan out there, Keith. He loves the show, and you know Keith's a great guy. I could go like you know we go one and one and four. He's like great, great win, Gabe. <laughs> you know, he just pick up the bad ones. I, I love Keith. You know, he's, such, such, he's so positive. But uh, so let's. You know, we're taking Michigan plus the thirteen. We're gonna hope for the best, double digits uh, here. But let's get into you know the games that I really think we can make some real money uh, with. I think the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, needing to win to get into bowl eligibility. We talked about the battle for the Fremont Cannon. This is a massive football game, guys. 
UNLV scheduled Howard so they could get to six, okay? <laughs> they ended up losing that game to Howard. They, they got it back the next week by beating the Vandals in Idaho. It's been a real roller coaster season for the UNLV Running Rebels. Uh, but, you know, it, it, they've gone through a lot of adversity. And I'm not going to take the, you know, the tragedy that happened in Las Vegas and equate it uh, with a football team. Uh, but they stumble out of the gate with the Howard loss. A couple of weeks later, tragedy hits uh, Vegas. It's hard for football to be paramount uh, in the city. They had to play, they played in that tribute game. They lost. There was a lot of pressure on them. It was a rough opening month to the season. And Tony Sanchez, great guy Sanchez, former Bishop Gorman uh, in a high school power coach, he said, you know, I told these kids this is life. You know, we were all excited for a football season and stuff starts happening. This is, this is part of life, and we're going to grow as men because of this. And I'm getting goosebumps watching these kids develop. I got goosebumps, and I jumped up and down because I had money on them. Uh, but that epic comeback last week against uh, New Mexico. You know, they needed two out of the three wins. They lost the BYU game. All right, you know, we've got to win two on the road right now. They took care of business last week in New Mexico. Now they get Nevada. This isn't the best Nevada football team. Uh, that uh, that they fielded in past years. I think they, you know, the point spread's coming up right now, okay? And listen, I bet on a lot, a lot of Wolfpack games this year. The offense has come alive lately. They can put points on the board. They can't stop anybody, all right? And I think the UNLV skill position players are going to get this done. Armani Rogers, the best quarterback they've had there since Omar Clayton, uh, he's going to be the difference today. They're going to get it done for the city of Vegas. They're going to get it done for Tony Sanchez. And they're going to get it done for themselves. UNLV are winning this football game and punching a ticket into a bowl game. Well, that's uh, I can't agree disagree with that. I love UNLV here uh, in the spot. I think Armani Rogers, 211 passing yards last week, 195 on the ground. His athleticism is the difference. Going back to the days of Randall Cunningham or Jason Thomas, you, you mentioned Omar Clayton. Those are some yeah. other uh, UNLV uh, quarterbacks. But I, I did want to get your remember Randall Cunningham. People forget uh, punter, punter in the nation. <laughs> he was punter. right. Well, the guy can crush it. You guys ever notice, too, that the QB pooch punt always seems to work best? You know, you give it to the punter. All right, try to pin him inside the 10. Kid puts it in the eighth row all the time. You snap it to the quarterback. He does this little pooch punt. It rolls, rolls to the sixth every time. I don't even think I'd have a punter on my team. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'd be like, I don't need a punter, all right? My quarterback punts. I'm not wasting wasting a spot here. All right, so I'm taking the UNLV running rebels. Here, okay, listen, guys. I've been picking on Miami Hurricanes on a weekly basis, and it, you know it's, it worked out. We didn't have the money line yesterday with Pitt, but we did have the points. I think Clemson are in for a dogfight right now. I think the point spread is too high in this football game. I think the Gamecocks getting 13.5 points, playing with house money, an eight-win football team with a stout defense. I think they're tired of losing to the Clemson Tigers, and I think, I think Clemson's feeling the pressure a little bit. Clemson's offense isn't blowing anybody out. Uh, right now I think this game comes down to the wire give me the 13 and a half points as you see I have a general theme I'm liking the underdogs today but I'm going to lay the points uh, Civil War uh, this is going to be a quicker war than the time that Reagan invaded Grenada okay <laughs> um, yeah, this is a civil war <laughs> where's, where's my flag you like that one Rich I, I, you know, <laughs> I like, I like when you go into the history books I love that game yeah, we went a little old school. I don't look like a guy that knows history, but I do. Um, 
Yeah, the Oregon Ducks, they're going to route him, man. Herbert's back right now. You know, the Ducks are going in the right direction. They didn't have the year that they wanted, but they're going in the right direction. They've got their bull spot book. You know, now with Herbert back, we see what a difference this offense, uh, what a difference he makes to this offense. I think they run the score up here. I think they'd like nothing better to, you know, you know, send the boosters out on a high note, send the kids out on a high note. Let's, you know, let's put 55, 60 up on, on the Beavers in this spot. And finally, in closing, a football game that I'm really looking forward to is tonight's game, Stanford. And I understand, I don't know if you guys can confirm, because so much fake news uh, on, on the Internet nowadays, you know, there's fake everybody's, uh, even fake Joe Lisi. Did you know that, Rich? There's a fake Joe Lisi. Yes. Is there he really? told me. That's what he told me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. They're berating him, he said. I said, well, that wouldn't be me. He gives college football analysis and stuff. Like, he's like, hey, he jumps in my chat. Hey, Joe Lisi, everyone. And some people believe it. They're like, hey, Joe, great job. Who do you like? That's a sign you're making it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Imitation is the sincerest form of Well, You'll be next, Rich. Trust me. You'll be right. These stalkers are probably watching as we speak. Gabe, we got a minute left. Give us us your pick on Notre Dame Stanford. Stanford, I tell you every week. I don't know what's going on here, man. Christian McCaffrey used to pick up a first down, and they'd break in for some live coverage. Bryce Love, the guy's just, you know, the guy pops big runs every game. He's not going to get to the Barry Sanders record, but I tell you what, this kid is so much fun to watch. I think Notre Dame are a little bit about out of gas right now. I think they've hit the wall. Stanford are peaking. They've won seven of the last eight games. Oh yeah, David Shaw's ten and three against the spread as an underdog. Uh, I love some love tonight. Give me, uh, give me some loving, and right. uh, and the Stanford Cardinal guys. All right, we'll be tweeting later when we come back. Rich and I will be giving us, giving you the best bets of the day. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella live in the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. The only radio programming that is for the ears of the fantasy elite is, of course. Fantasy Freestyle with Dane Martinez. What? Are you kidding? Not my show. My show is for all the people. Bring that promo back. (laughs) This is Dane Martinez, Speeds, the spitting statistician, and you can check out my show, Fantasy Freestyle, every night, Monday through Friday. I give you my top five, dead or alive. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. My starting lineup. And you can join the cypher with me, Speeds the Spittin' Statistician. Yeah, yeah. I break down every stat from every game so your fantasy teams can blow up like a Samsung 7. Catch Fantasy Freestyle every night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Best pick time. Let's jump right into it. Wasting no time. Big game between Ohio State and Michigan. Michigan's lost five straight, but they do have the number one ranked third down defense in college football, holding opposing offenses to 24%. They have 36 total sacks. They get to JT Barrett, run the football, and pick up the 17-13 to win. This is one of my best picks of the day. Uh, I agree on the cover. I think Michigan defense, intensity, importance of this game. I think they keep it close. I think they lose in the end to Ohio State. Better quarterback with JT Barrett. The Battle of Carolina, NC State, UNC. Not a best selection of mine, but I think the Wolfpack cover this number. 
Uh, too big of a number. Uh, Carolina heading in the right direction. Uh, this is going to be their bowl game, Joe. And NC State right now, I, I, I think they're going to be licking their wounds after the past couple of weeks. Tough month of November. I think it'll show today in a close game. Minnesota's lost 13 straight to Wisconsin, but P.J. Fleck did coach Western Michigan against the Badgers last year in the Cotton Bowl. I think that's a factor, a couple with the fact that the secondary of Minnesota is the strength of the defense. They make Alex Hornibrook one-dimensional, and more importantly, for some turnovers, they lose a very close ball game, 30-27. to 27. Yeah, we're in agreement here, Joe. I think that's a lot of points in a rivalry game. Paul Bunyan's axe will be at stake. Minnesota needs to uh, this game to get to a bowl game. I think they'll be fired up. In Wisconsin, there's always the possibility they're looking ahead to uh, the Big Ten Championship game. Gabe talked about how he likes Stanford. I like Stanford as well, although not a best pick of mine, but you're all over Brandon Wimbush. Yeah, I, I don't know if Bryce Love, he is going to play, but I don't know if he's 100%. I like the physicality of the Notre Dame offensive line. This is not a great Stanford defense. I think Notre Dame wins this game at the line of scrimmage, secures a New Year's Six bowl game. I'm drinking the Boilermaker <laughs> cocktail because I picked them last week against Iowa. They become yeah. bowl eligible today. That front seven over the last four games holding opposing offenses to 74 yards on the ground. They get a double-digit win over the Hoosiers. I think this will be competitive. I think it'll be intense. Both teams are 5-6. and six. Rivalry game for the old oak and bucket. Uh, I agree. Like that. You turned me on to that Purdue defense, and I think they're legitimate for coordinator Nick Holt. I like the Boilermakers to get to 6-6, six and six, an important bowl game. The speed of Clemson for me is the difference. I like it more and more as we inch closer to the game. Not a best selection, but you you like South Carolina. Yeah, Gabe touched on it and I, and I think he really uh, he hit on a lot of keys that I believe. I think this will be a very competitive football game. I think it's a four-quarter game. South Carolina has been playing well. Haven't been a quality opponent, but playing well. And I don't like the Clemson offense. I think South Carolina's defense will have an edge in a close game. Florida, Florida State. Florida State looking to become bowl eligible. But Florida, to me, playing better defense. They're forcing turnovers. Florida State negative eight in turnover margin with a freshman quarterback, Blackman, on the road. I think Florida strikes the upset by seven. Uh, We're in agreement again. Not a best bet of mine, Joe. But I, I think these are equal teams. I give the home field advantage. It will be enough for Florida. They're getting points. I don't think they should be. They should be a pick them. Do on the road to looking to become bowl eligible going up against Wake Forest I like Wake Forest not a best pick but you all over Duke in this matchup you know, Duke finally realized that they can run the ball last week in the victory the upset victory over Georgia Tech I think they used that formula this week for a close game against Wake Forest as well as they've played offensively Wake Forest is struggling on the defensive side of the ball the dogs will be barking over Georgia Tech in about three minutes again we agree not a best bet Georgia uh, significantly better than a Georgia Tech team that is struggling right now you're all over the wildcats and lamar jackson you think uk in the upset uh now yeah i i, I think i think uh, uh kentucky can win this game outright i i love the points too many points in a rivalry i, I do as well not a best pick i like west virginia to keep this game close they lose by 10 points on the road in norman you're all, all over the cougars in the apple cup uh, agreed i think they win it uh outright and uh, head to the pac-12 title game we'll see how these games play out we'll see you next saturday for rich sermonello this is joe lisi have a great weekend everyone